0: Morning's passage is Romans 14 or sorry Romans 10:14 through 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have heard, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Finished Romans chapter 10 this morning. We've been in Romans for months now. If you don't know anything else about Sojourn, hopefully you know that we're a church that cares about the Scripture, that we ought to be a Bible people, and so we open it up each week to be informed by it, be instructed by it, but to have an encounter with the the one true living God who speaks in His Word. There is one prominent Christian evangelist, 20th century, uh, kind of late, I mean it sounds weird to say the 1900s, but like the 1900s and... Uh, passed away not too many years ago, that said this. He said, I used to believe that pagans in far countries were lost if they did not have the gospel of Christ preached to them. I no longer believe that. God is calling a people out of the world for His name. Whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the non-believing world, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not know the name of Jesus, but they know in their hearts that they need something that they do not have, and they turn to the only light they have, and I think they are saved and going to be with us in heaven. As you hear those words, there's some things in there that have some really good sentiment, right? We look out of the vastness of the world and the, the depth of lostness and the, the, even the sheer numbers themselves, if we're to give calculations to what those numbers are in terms of who are in the, the kind of the umbrella of Christianity and who is not, the, the numbers are, are pretty tragic when you think about who is lost and who is not. And so you might hear this statement and it kind of helps your heart beat a little bit more. I guess there's a good sentiment there, but we have to ask, like, does that what was just said, jive or, or mixed with what we see in the scripture, especially what we've seen in the book of Romans. In Romans chapters 1 through 3, what what Paul has been doing is he's been kind of stripping everybody bare, right? And saying everyone is accountable to God and guess what the account comes up with? You're lacking before him. You're lost. You deserve his wrath. One eighteen says that everyone, the... the Righteousness, the holiness of God, what it does is it reveals in us that we are unrighteous and unholy and that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men for which we all are accountable and included in. In chapter 3, verse 21, he finally gets to move to a little bit more of the, the explanation of the solution to this problem that we can have right standing inside of this holy God if we would just put our faith in Jesus. By faith, we are justified before a holy God. And Paul just stated in chapter 10, verse 13, the the gloriously inclusive news that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's gloriously inclusive, isn't it? But it's exclusive. Inclusive, everyone, uh, inclusive, everyone exclusive calls on the name of the Lord. Not who calls on anything, not who calls on anyone is saved. Those who call on the name of the Lord. How does one get to the place where you can call on the name of the Lord for salvation? In the above quote, the evangelist says that God is calling, and then he goes on to say, apart from the name of Jesus, and apart from the gospel being preached to them, and he says, because they've been called by God apart from those things, they can still be in heaven. And again, that sounds really nice. But it doesn't line up with the book of Romans. In chapter 10, after the gloriously inclusive statement that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, in verse 13, Paul gives kind of some of the steps to that calling so that we don't get confused even with really good sentiment that comes from other sources. Verse 17 sums up the point of this passage well when he says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There is the necessity within lostness, the necessity of hearing, and not just hearing, hearing the word of Christ and believing that word of Christ for salvation. There is no other way. There is no calling, no salvation, apart from hearing the word of Christ. Just as Pastor Ryan preached this last week in chapter 10, verse 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just as that is not salvation by slogan, so too when we say that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, we don't believe in salvation by hearing. As if to say, if you just get the word of Christ to ears, then people are saved. It's not what Paul is saying. You've heard the saying, seeing is believing. We don't just swap out seeing there and say, just but hearing is believing. We don't do that. And Paul demonstrates that pretty well when he says, like, look at what is going on with the Israelites in my day. And so in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That calling is a calling and belief. A belief that the one that they're calling to, in this case, the Lord, very specific, not anyone, not anything, it's the Lord. It's a belief there that that's one that I'm calling to can actually save. And then Paul's going to tie that now with verse 14. How then will they call on him and who they have not believed? Perhaps you remember the Gospels. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is the, the story of blind Bartimaeus. He's a blind man and he hears that Jesus is walking by. And so he cries out to him, have mercy on me. And the crowd around him rebukes him and tells him to be quiet. And he cries out all the more, son of David have mercy on me. Why does he do that? Because he thinks that the one walking by can have mercy on him. He's convinced of it. And so he cries out all the more. If you don't trust in the one you're calling out to, you're not going to call out to him. Especially if you have a crowd around you saying, be quiet. What are you thinking? You'd be quiet real quick. You won't call on one that you don't trust can actually deliver. And that's what Paul is getting at here in verse 14. Who's going to call on one they've not believed in? Bartimaeus, he believes that the son of David, as he cries out, have mercy on me." He believes and trusts at some level that that Jesus can have mercy on him. Perhaps because he'd heard of how Jesus had healed other people. Even in Mark's account for it, it comes after how he does that two-stage healing of a blind man, where he heals the blind man and says, can you see? I see trees walking, and then he heals him fully. Perhaps Bartimaeus had heard that and said, have mercy on me. He trusts at some level that Jesus can have mercy because he'd heard of him. How will they call on whom they have not heard? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? Ears don't often get the place of prominence. Right? They're not in the center of the face. You <laughs> talk a lot about what the ears do, it doesn't seem like, but here they are essential. New life begins, in a sense, through the ears says, how then are they going to call on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Again, if we look at verse 17, he says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice the prominence that hearing gets here. There is the necessity of hearing in order for there to be believing, if you trace these all together. And what is being heard is abundantly important. We look back up in verses 8 through 10, and we can see some of the context in which Paul is saying this that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And we can see he says, The word is near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth what? Something specific that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not confessing and believing anything, it's a specific thing you will be saved. For in the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. And is saved. Or verse 16, have they not all obeyed what? The gospel. Or in verse 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Clearly, the thing that is needed to be heard is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Notice the language. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelfth. He said, I received this and I remind this, or I remind you guys of this. I preached it to you. You received it. You had heard it. What was heard by them and what does he repeat here in 1 Corinthians 15? The, The content of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of Christ. And he says, that's what you believed and that's what you needed to believe. And you needed to hear it. What is heard is not salvation in general, salvation in any way, faith in general, but faith in Christ, salvation in a particular way through calling on the name of the Lord. They didn't hear any word. They heard a word from the Lord. They heard the word of Christ. That matters when we're talking about what we need to hear. Paul says that that content of what you need to hear is specific. In in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I'm going to talk to you about the gospel of God, which is the gospel concerning the Son. And then he goes and gives us Romans. Concerning the life of the son and what it means for us. His death of the son and what it means for us. The resurrection of the son and what it means to us. That by faith in that son, because the gospel is concerning him. It's about him. It's centered on him. And that if we believe in that son, that we can be justified, made right in God's sight. That's good news. And that's good news because it's specific content that happens to be true. And he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by that word. That news has to be heard. Likely you've all heard the, the often quoted phrase, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And that sticks, I think, and it's stuck around so often because there's something good in that. And I think that the, the best intention of, of that is to say that we want the gospel to go out even if it's going out in just how I live my life. And I think that that can be a good intention. And there can be a good corrective in this, right? That We don't want Christians to be gospel speakers only. We want them to be gospel people, right? We don't just want the gospel on our lips. We want the gospel on our lives. And there is to be a demonstration of the gospel and the way we live our lives before others. But preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. It's like run a marathon and if necessary, take breaths. You can't do it without taking breaths. You cannot preach the gospel if you don't use words. There is no gospel without words. If there are no words, there is no gospel, The gospel is news. It's made up of specific content, and if it doesn't have that content, if there are no words, then there is no gospel. It is by necessity and by nature made up of content, made up of words. It is a message. It is news. Paul fills that in here. You need to hear the word of Christ. That's where faith comes from. The gospel, by its nature, is a message that needs to be articulated and heard. I know when I say here, right? That there. People who cannot hear if they are deaf, we're still saying they need to understand it, to grasp it. It needs to be articulated to them in some capacity. It is news. And here's what he says of that news, that that is the news that is needed to get to the ears in order for there to be belief. Faith comes by hearing. So for those who don't believe, we should want them to hear the gospel. We should want it to be communicated to them. We are those who are to get it to their ears. And what Paul says of that gospel when it hits ears is that it's the power of God for salvation. There is no substitute for hearing here. There is no substitute for hearing. You can't put something else in there. Faith comes by, not by working, not by seeing, not by dreaming, not by praying even. I love this. This great missions book by John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad. He wrote this missions book, and in this book, he wrote a chapter on prayer, and listen to what he says here. That God has ordained that saving faith comes by hearing the word of Christ because faith is a response to Christ. It's a response to the actual message. If Christ is to be glorified in the mission of the church, he must be heard and known. This happens only through the word. No prayer can replace it. See this in the book of Acts demonstrated so clearly Peter and John they get arrested they're told not to speak of Christ anymore they are said we'll obey God rather than men they go back to be with the people of God and they start praying but look at Acts chapter 4 verse 31 and when they had prayed the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and what did they continue to do they continue to notice the language speak The word of God with all boldness. They continue to speak it and not just pray it. Even though their prayers are shaking things, that's crazy enough right there. Their prayers are shaking things, but they don't just say, we're content with praying for those who don't know the message. They're saying, no, we're going to continue to speak it because it is a message that has to be heard. Romans tells us, right, how are they going to call on him and have not believed? And how are they to believe... In him of whom they have not heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In Acts, the church is being established. The apostles are doing great things, right? There are signs and miracles being done. And so I think, like, man, that seems like a good mission strategy if you're an apostle like Peter and you can gather with people and shake the foundations of where you're at in prayer. Like, here's a way to do it. You, You heal people that are lame. Like, do those things. That's the mission strategy, right? Great way to get the news out is just to go do signs and miracles. Maybe even pray, since it can shake things like, God, write this message in the sky, But in the conversions in the book of Acts, there is always a human messenger with gospel words. No one just sees a miracle and is saved. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot because I thought, well, wait a second. What about Paul? What do we do with him? Because he kind of, he has an encounter with Jesus. That is a human messenger in a sense, but that's not what I meant when I said human messenger. I meant the normal disciples. He has an encounter with Jesus. But I will say a few things about Paul's conversion. It was tied not only to just his salvation, but his apostleship, that he needed to see the risen Christ, his commission as an apostle to the Gentiles. But even there, would you go to Romans chapter 9 and take a look at what happens there. Paul meets the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and then what happens? There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am. Here I am, Lord, and the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized that interesting there that that he doesn't regain his sight scales don't fall from his eyes apart from a human messenger coming to him he doesn't receive the spirit apart from those things now it might be symbolic there but it might be much more and you notice again a human messenger has to go to even one who'd come in contact with the risen christ and and i think that what's instructive there is that paul from this point on he doesn't go out and say like hey you know how you knocked me down on the road to damascus there's lots of guys that need to be knocked down like that would you please show up to them in that same way He doesn't pray that, at least that we know. What he does do is he goes and he preaches Christ to all these places everywhere he can. That's what he does. He doesn't seem to pray, hey, God, show up to them in a vision. He seems to go to them and say the the gospel message to them. He prays that they might know the love of Christ as demonstrated in the gospel. In Galatians, he says that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified to them. How, How was it? He's not talking about a vision. He's talking about how we came with the gospel message from a person, a human messenger, and we shared the gospel with him. That's how he was portrayed to you. You see this over and over again in Acts. Don't you, this human messenger. In Acts chapter 8, there's an Ethiopian eunuch. He's actually reading the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 52 and 3, this is a great place. If you're going to just land on a scripture and want to know the gospel, it's a great place to go, but he doesn't understand it. So what does God do? He sends Philip, and he explains it to him. And how it concerns Jesus, he gives him the gospel. Or in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he has a vision with an angel of the Lord there. And what does the angel of the Lord do? If you need to hear the gospel, it's like, that seems pretty efficient. The angel has already appeared to him in a vision. Share the gospel with him. An angel says, send for Peter. And Peter, in Acts chapter 10, he comes to him. And again, listen to the words here. I love this short little verse. Acts 10, 34, Peter opened his mouth and said. Because that's how it goes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Jesus, when he is walking with his disciples and they look out and they see that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 9. The harvest is plentiful, the the laborers are few, so pray, period. Not what he says. Or pray for them to have a vision? No, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And how are they here unless someone preaches? And how are they to preach unless they've been sent? So pray that the Lord would send out laborers. Now, one author said this, that he's asking... Is missionary contact normative or exclusively necessary for salvation? Remember the opening American evangelist that says, I'm not sure God is calling them, do they need to hear the gospel of Christ or not? Is missionary contact normative or exclusively necessary for salvation? Could we just pray and ask for visions and that be enough? Could we just say, send some signs, write it in the sky, God, and that'll be enough? Here's what he goes on to say the whole tenor of the book of Acts and the sending of the church into the world seems to strongly suggest that if God does use other modalities, other things, then they can be seen as providentially pre evangelistic and part of God's wonderful sovereignty in calling his people to himself. We can pray for all kinds of things because much might be pre evangelistic watering and sowing might do much to prepare the soil for the gospel to come and there to be faith in the heart but faith what does he say comes from hearing hearing from the word of christ how are they to hear unless someone preaches it to them how are they to preach unless they have been sent the great commission jesus says to his disciples not i have all authority and i'll just write it in the sky you guys take it easy you've done a lot but hey i have all authority you guys go and make disciples i'll be with you The apostles, as they go and they start establishing the church in the book of Acts, what happens is that the message message goes through messengers. And what happens from there? Christians take over this message, just normal people. That's how we think that the church in Rome began. That they heard the gospel and normal Christians went back to Rome and just were transformed by the gospel that they'd heard and started sharing it to those around them. And that same thing continues today, doesn't it? We're here because we've heard, because someone preached, because they were sent. Here at Sojourn, you might have seen them as you came in. Over our doors, they have a sign that says, you are sent. We're going to end our service today, I think. Most of the time we do this, Mom. We're going to say, we'll see, <laughs> TBD. We normally end with, you are sent. And that's, that's the end. It's intentional. We're not ending by saying, guys, you know what? We've heard a lot. This has been good to worship God. Let's pray that God would write the gospel in the clouds. We don't do that. We could, I, mean, I guess that's an option. It's never been on the table for us, but maybe we should consider it. No, we'll never consider it. We're going to say, you are sent. We might not always say that you are sin, but like that's always there in heart. You are sent. like we're gathered to be scattered. You are sent. We believe that Jesus sends his people to make disciples. They go with the gospel. They are the gospel bearers to the ends of the earth. They are to proclaim the gospel. They are the ones who are the ambassadors for Christ, appealing to those who have not heard to be reconciled to God through Jesus. The church, then, the people that make up the, the people of God are the mission strategy. Amen. People must hear And someone must preach. These are God's means for those who are going to believe to believe. We then, if we are part of the people who believe, are the recipients of the tremendous privilege of proclaiming the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, nation, language that is out there. This is an indispensable mission, right? We can't do it another way. It doesn't happen apart from hearing. It doesn't happen apart from preaching. It doesn't happen apart from understanding the articulated gospel. And it has a simple message, a method, doesn't it? Just declare it. Declare the word of Christ to whoever will hear it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. We need to be a people who get the word of Christ to the ear. Now here's how we can start this. We can start by praying for those or maybe just one that you can think of who may not believe because what they need in believing is to hear it or one who maybe just has never heard. We can start by praying for them and what we ought to do is we ought to follow the commands of Jesus. If you see the, the harvest is plentiful, pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's a good way to start, right? But ask him to send out laborers and pray then for opportunities to be a laborer. You want someone to believe? By all means, pray for them. Ask that God would send them all kinds of signs and show them all kinds of miracles. Ask for laborers, but be willing to be a laborer to go and get the gospel to their ears because that's required. Paul says it really simply, how are they going to call on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone, without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach Unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Hearing is a necessity. And so there's this urgency with that, right? We've got to get the gospel out. It's got to land on ears. But there's also beauty in it. You see how, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? God sends people out with beautiful feet. We have the privilege... As we go out with the word of Christ, the very life-giving message that you can have life with God through Jesus Christ if you would trust in him, we have the privilege to hold out that gospel to people and say, if you can repent, if you repent and believe in God, then you can be forgiven of your sins that you can have life with God. We get the privilege to hold that out and that news has to be heard for people to believe and he says, when you do that, you have beautiful feet. The, The picture is... Like of Second Samuel, I was just reading through Second Samuel. David, his son Absalom, has betrayed him and tried to take the throne from him. And they, the, his people go out to war for him. And as they go out to war, he gets, uh, he's sitting between the gates and he sees messengers coming back. They're running back toward him. That's what the picture of beautiful feet is, of, of someone coming with news. And, and we need to see it in the right kind of circumstances and setting. Like, this is news in the middle of a, a battle and betrayal. A word comes in that midst of victory. Like, it's beautiful, those feet that bring that news, because it's not in a, a sterile uh, situation. Like, it's, it's bad. It's bloody. There's war. There's, there's life and death happening here. And in the midst of that, that's when the message comes. That's why those feet are beautiful. Maybe you've seen the, the movie Dunkirk and based on the kind of the true events, um, the English were cut off. They're stranded at Dunkirk. Like the Germans have them surrounded. They have nowhere to go and basically no way to get off this place because the, the, the larger boats can't land there to pull troops off. So they're just all sitting there waiting for someone to come and rescue them with very little hope and help. Like, it's a dire situation. They're just sitting ducks, basically, waiting for the enemy to kind of figure out where to drop their bombs. There's no way out. The only way out is really, like, kind of smaller boats, piece by piece. And, and that, you know, like, of course, the, the English Navy didn't have just a ton available to send to them at the moment. And in that place where you just, like, the movie does such a good job of making you feel the heaviness and the weight of the situation, in the midst of that, you, you see the... The guy in charge, he gets his binoculars out. He's looking out on the coast, and he just starts getting excited. And they say, what do you see? And you look out, and you see the scene of tiny little boats dotting the horizon. And, and he says, what is it? And he says, home. It's home. That's what it is. What, what these boats are, are they just called on anybody. Grab your boat. We need you to go get the troops, because this is the only way they're going to be saved. Other than that, they're going to be cut off, and they are done. And so these boats that you see on the horizon are tiny boats, unimpressive boats like normal everyday fishing boats whatever they do with boats in England across the channel i don't unimpressive boats right and in the midst of that he can say home why because the situation was so bad it was so dire they had no other way out that those boats that he looks at are beautiful that's what Paul is getting at when he says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It's in the midst of a, of a bloody battle scene that you get to hear the words of victory proclaimed. That is where it is beautiful. It's not the, the news doesn't go out that kind of okay people can be made right with God. That's, I guess that's a good message. It's not that beautiful. And that's not the message that we give. It's not the word of Christ. The word of Christ is you were enemies. You were cut off. And now you've been brought near by his blood. And that's beautiful. If you're a believer, don't you remember some of those beautiful feet that came to you? Maybe you don't even remember the person that shared the gospel to you. But you can remember that God has done something to get you to the place where you've heard and believed. And that was beautiful. But don't just enjoy the beauty of that. Thank God for it. And then remember, if someone wouldn't come to me, then I wouldn't have seen how beautiful those feet were. Perhaps maybe I should do the same thing and go and tell other people. Not just enjoy the beauty myself, but go and tell them. I love how... the the ascension of Jesus. He has the disciples there with him. He gets lifted up in the clouds into heaven. And, and the, the disciples are just staring in wonder at this. And, and who could blame them, right? Like, just, the cloud just took you up into heaven. That's awesome. And we enjoyed our 40 days with you. That's been great. Like, you overcame the grave. And so they're just staring. And the angels beside them, they, they talk to the disciples. And they say, hey, guys, what, what are you doing watching? Hey, hey. The way he went up, he's going he's to come back in the same way he was taken from you. And so the, what's the kind of the encouragement there? Like, get busy. He gave you a, a mission. He commissioned you to go do some things. And so don't stare up into the clouds. Like, go and tell people what you have seen. They get to be the people who now have beautiful feet. But not everyone who goes with the gospel is going to be thought of or received as one having beautiful feet. There is no salvation by hearing, right? As if the gospel is some sort of magic intentation that if you just say it over the ears and it falls on the ears, then all of a sudden everyone is saved. Notice the disruption of the chain in Romans 10. Beautiful words, just logically connected. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom... In him of whom they have never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Right in the middle of this chain of sequence, of steps, you have this interruption, this disruption. And notice, they've not all obeyed the gospel. Not everyone has received this as beautiful feet Right? The people bringing it is like, wow, that's great. Not, no, it's, it's been rejected. Why have they not all obeyed here in verse 16? Because they didn't believe it. Because of unbelief. So notice that there's a connection between belief and obedience. It's been all the way through the book of Romans, but it's clear here that there is no belief apart from obedience. There's no belief that doesn't lead to obedience. Not if you're believing in the word of Christ. Now, we do want to remember that it's not obey, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's religion. It's I'm accepted in Christ Jesus and I obey. But mere verbal agreement that I'm with Jesus isn't belief. Just confessing with your mouth. Again, Ryan talked about this last week. Just the mere words coming out of your mouth don't mean that there's true faith there. Where there's true belief, where there's true confession of the mouth, it leads to obedience. And if there's no obedience that comes from this confession with the mouth, then we could say that's a false confession. There's a connection between belief and obedience. But Paul says this here in verse 16, and he's going to continue to speak, verses 18 through 21, answering the question that he brought up in chapter 9, verse 30. Well, what are we going to say about all the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness but have attained it? That is a righteousness by faith. But Israel, who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching it. What do we just say about that? What do we make of the Gentiles attaining this righteousness and being included as part of the people of God now? And Israel, as we're looking around, by and large has rejected it. What are we to make of that, Paul? Why is that happening? And he says, verse 18, But I ask you, let's... Trace it back up into this argument that I've just laid out. Have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The problem wasn't that Israel had never heard. He quotes uh, Psalm 19, verse 4, which is actually a really interesting psalm to quote here. Psalm 19 is a psalm that says that the heavens are declaring the glory of the Lord. The sky above is proclaiming his handiwork. He's speaking of creation and how it testifies to who God is. It's Romans 1-like, right? That That the things about God, his invisible attributes, his divine nature can be clearly perceived in the things that have been made. That's a little bit of what Psalm 19 is doing. And he says that that is universal. Everyone is accountable. They can know that there is a God based on the things that have been made. Now, it seems like an odd choice for him to put here because we know Romans chapter 1 says that if that's all that we know of God, all that does is just make us accountable to Him. It does not save us, it cannot save us. But what I think Paul is doing with this here, with terms of Israel, is just kind of drawing an analogy from Psalm 19 as creation, has proclaimed to everyone under the sun that there is a God. So the gospel is going out to everyone under the sun, testifying to how you can have right standing with God. And the Israelites, as being those who are under that same sun, have heard of that gospel. And he points to a few different things, I think, in reference to this. Like a church in Rome, that's good evidence that the gospel has gone out everywhere. That they would have thought that the gospel had reached all the way to Rome would have been a far-stretching thing. The Gentiles, not just in Rome, but all over are believing the gospel is evidence that the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. Paul could even say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, he says this. He says that it's been proclaimed under the heavens, all over the place. He isn't saying that it's been exhaustively proclaimed everywhere. But the point is, is that it has gone out all over the place. Like it is no longer in a particular locale, it has been spread and it is going far and wide. He's not saying everything's done. He actually says to the Romans later on, like, I'm going to try to go to Spain by way of you, because they haven't heard, and I want to get there. But he's saying the gospel has extended to the ends of the earth. It's then been extended to Israel as well. Many Gentiles had heard and believed, and the Jews had had heard as well, and it was a stumbling block to them. As Isaiah said, as Paul said in chapter 9, verse 33, there's a stumbling block that has happened. It's the gospel. It's the word of Christ. They had heard. And he goes on to say, not only had they heard, but they had understood what was going on. And Paul brings in two heavy hitters to make his point. In verse 19 brings in Moses. First Moses says, he says, I asked that Israel not understand. Moses says this, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And you guys love Deuteronomy, so those words came readily to your memory when you thought about it, brought up good memories of our time there. And this is Deuteronomy 32, where they're learning, right, they're about to go into the promised land, and Moses kind of is his dying words, he's teaching them the blessings and the curses, and this is kind of, in a sense, their national anthem of those blessings and curses, as they prepare to go into the promised land, and in those blessings and curses, there's predictions, there's, there's prophecies that God is going to be stirred to jealousy because of His intense love for this people. He's stirred to jealousy because of what? Their idolatry. That they turn away from Him. He warns them of it in Deuteronomy, and then we see it play out in the Old Testament. And God responds to this rejection of Him by making them jealous of those who are not His people being called His people. Right? I'm going to make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I'm going to make you angry so when the gentiles are included the nations around israel are included and they're numerous while israel by and large has rejected the gospel what they should be able to know and understand is that god predicted this he actually told us about this in advance god said he was going to do this because we're over here worshiping these things that are created and not the creator and he told us if we did that here's what was going to happen Israel was told by Moses of the inclusion of the nations that weren't included in the original old covenants, that had to become part of Israel in the old covenant. He said, no, I'm going to include them. They're going to be part of my people. And so what Moses' words should be doing is ringing in their hearts and their minds as they look around and they see Gentiles responding to the gospel in great numbers while by and large they and their countrymen are rejecting it. They should be hearing Moses' words. But then Paul brings in the second witness. In verse 20, brings in Isaiah. Again, these are heavy hitters. One of the most prominent prophets, and then Moses, one of the most prominent figures. He says in verse 20, Isaiah was so bold to his say, I've been found by those who didn't seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Verse 20 is really, really close to chapter 9, verse 30. It's worth taking a look at. What shall we say? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? That is a righteousness by faith. It's like they, they weren't even looking for it. They didn't seem to seek it out in any particular way. And the Lord revealed himself to them. That's what it's getting at. The, the Gentiles, they, they got righteousness in a way without pursuit. They weren't looking for it or going after it, not like the Jews were. And so the Gentile inclusion, again, as the Israelites are seeing it, should not be something that is surprising they had been told, it had been prophesied, so that they would know when they see it happening that something different is going on here. So as they see the Gentiles included into the people of God, as they see the Gentiles receiving the very love of God, the favor of God, the grace of God, and being accepted as part of the people of God, it should trigger some thoughts in their mind of what has already been told to them in the past. And so what, Mo, or what Paul is saying is that I've got Moses here and I've got Isaiah in here and they're telling me that you have heard the gospel, that you have known these things, that you have understood that, so that's not the problem. The problem isn't that they haven't heard the gospel or that they haven't understood the prophecies that had been given years in advance. What's the problem then, Paul? Well, verse 21, he targets it pretty well. But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Notice two things that are being paralleled here very clearly. The everlasting arms of God being held out. And on the other side, the the parallel is the absolute rejection of those arms. The, The constancy in the holding out of the arms of God, right? All day long. And on the other side, all day long, those arms have been rejected. Take them back, we don't want them. Those are the parallels tracks that are going on here. Constant mercy and constant rejection. Mercy and obstinance repeated over and over again. And in this one verse, God shows the depths of his love and his patience in holding out his hands to a stubborn and obstinate people. Think of the links that God went to in holding out his arms to them. To rescue them. To reveal himself to them. To speak to them. To show them great signs and wonders. In word and deed God has gone over the top. To make himself known. To rescue them. And Israel. Shows the depths of her sin. By rejecting such great mercy. Such great salvation. Such a great God. Think of the gravity. Of Israel's sin in pushing away the held out hands of the living God. He brings up Moses. He brings up Isaiah. The law and the prophets, they testify to them of the goodness of God, of their need for God. And what do they do with that? They reject God. They push God aside. When the end of the law came, Jesus Christ in the flesh, these are the links God went to to reveal himself to them, to hold out his arms to them in flesh he comes and when the end of that law came in jesus christ the person of jesus they refused the righteousness that can be found in him and instead kept continuing to try to establish their own so israel paul says is without excuse one author sums it up well when he said that they'd heard the gospel they knew beforehand the sign of god respecting the call of the gentiles They had been forewarned of the very situation that existed in Paul's day and with which he is concerned in this part of the epistle. And they didn't call on the Lord, not because they hadn't heard of the Lord, not because they hadn't understood these things, not because someone hadn't preached to them, not because someone hadn't been sent to them. They didn't call on the Lord, not because of those things, but because they didn't believe. Israel didn't call on the name of the Lord for salvation, Not because they hadn't heard. They had heard many times the prophets and the law had borne witness to them of the one who was to come. He comes and he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's in me. And they rejected that. They had heard. And not because they didn't have someone preaching to them. Think about the, the weight of the evidence of those who've been sent to that people, specifically the law and the prophets and the specific revelation from God to them. They had had many people preach to them. Paul is one who's His pattern is to go and preach to the Israelites first. They had had someone preaching. Many had been sent. No, they didn't call on the name of the Lord because they didn't believe. Church, the the hearing of the gospel is necessary. When we hear from evangelists that say, like, I think... That if they're just called by God and that they just know that they need something from God and they just do something along those lines, then they're going to be saved. We need to know that they're wrong. That apart from hearing, there is no salvation. That the hearing of the word of Christ is vital. We have to get the gospel to ears. We can't take it further than that. But it has to go further than that. Getting the gospel to the ears doesn't lead to salvation. Look at the state of Israel, Paul says. They had heard. They had been preached to. They had had people sent to. And they didn't believe. Hearing doesn't equal salvation. One must believe. Boasting in their own righteousness that they're trying to establish. Boasting in their own record and resume as part of the people of God. Would never do for the Israelites. There is salvation only in calling upon the name of the Lord. In believing in your hearts and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is the one true living God. That he is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead. That's all that we'll do. The same is true for us. We need to take warning as a church that's hearing the gospel. That boasting of our own righteousness is not going to stand before God. That saying before God, here's my resume. I've been to church a million times. I've read my Bible Many times over, reciting the gospel of the justification by faith alone before the Lord won't do. Reciting the gospel of justification by faith alone isn't going to work. It's faith alone that works. Faith, actual faith, not having the doctrine of justification by faith, having actual faith. That's where we find salvation. And that's for all who have now heard the gospel. I think, maybe not perfectly or whatever, but I think you've heard the gospel. And so the question then lands for you. You've heard it now, what? Faith comes by hearing, but you can't just hear. You have to believe, respond to the word of Christ by your faith. Do you have faith? And as the passage ends with Israel's rejection of God, I can't help but think of the warning that was given in in Psalm 95, but is repeated again in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of the testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Today, if you hear his voice, don't go that way. Hearing is not salvation. You must respond to the word of Christ with faith. One time we drove back from Kentucky for Christmas on Christmas Day. And the interstates and the turnpikes had been shut down the the night before. And so we're driving and for some reason... As soon as we hit the border of Oklahoma, the roads were like 10 times worse. It's like weird that the storm stopped right here, but uh, we get into Oklahoma, and it's just it's covered with a layer of ice. And as I'm driving through the night, not advisable, but like we're driving through the middle of the night, and I'm seeing on the side of the road, just car after car, stranded in the ditch, just over and over again. And there's a few ways you can respond to that, Right? I could have driven past every car and said, I'm so glad I'm a better driver than that person as I drive by them and that person. And just keep counting them up as my record, like clearly I'm better than them. I could have driven by and said, "Like, well, they were probably going too fast, so it serves them right. Or I could have driven by and I could have seen the danger. Like this is what happens if I'm not really careful. If I don't hold on tight to what I know is the way to drive in ice. If I don't do these things, then don't respond rightly, then it could end in disaster. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. It's those who call on the name of the Lord who are saved, not those who hear of the name of the Lord who are saved. Here's what we do with this we can still be those who are calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, you might have saved me, God, but keep doing it. That's what he wants. Let's be that kind of church. Would you pray with me?
2: Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we see it clearly. The first chapter of this book, Father, you tell us that the Gospel is the power that you use to bring salvation unto all men. It's not apologetics. It's not an allusion to the gospel. It's not even a life lived in light of the gospel. It's the gospel. It's a message. It's good news. And Lord, you have sovereignly been pleased to use it to bring many to salvation, to bring us to salvation. For that, God, we are thankful. And Lord, we pray that we would not be complacent where we have been, God. Wake us up. Help us to see that unless we preach, unless we go, how will people hear? So God, help us to go where you have called us to go. Help us to Look around us, Lord, to, to see our neighbors, to see our coworkers, our friends, our family, those we see consistently, Lord, who do not know you and who do not believe the gospel, God, help us to have the courage and the boldness Amen. to share it with them. Amen. Help us to have a heart that cares for the lost. We were once those people, and had it not been for someone, sharing the good news with us lord we would still be lost so lord help us lord as your church to be a people on mission to not be lazy to not use your sovereignty as an excuse to disobey the sovereign means that you have put in place to bring people to a saving knowledge of you god Lord, we need your help, we need courage, we need boldness. This world is warring against the message you have given us to preach. So Lord, help us to be faithful to preach it, no matter what.